I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk turned traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hey everyone, welcome to Let's Get Civical. This is the podcast that breaks down politics, government structure, and dives into the context of current events, but in a super fun way. I'm Lizzie Stewart, comedian, feminist, and political junkie. And I'm Arden Wallentowski, former Senate intern, campaign staffer, and political strategist. In this episode, we're talking about Watergate. So grab your duct tape. And let's get civical. Let's get civical. I'm Lizzie Stewart. And I am Arden Wallentowski. And the changes just keep on coming. You and I both They're rolling. are just changing things left and right. I changed my hair color. Mm-hmm. You're changing your apartment. Uh-huh. It's I wonder, are the planets doing something that's creating this sort of internal chaos? <laughs> I feel like to say that like multiple planets feel like they're in retrograde, I feel like is not the right tone because often I feel like when we say Mars is in retrograde, it's like that's why mm. everything is bananas, but like in a right. bad way. But right. I don't think like we've got positive changes. Like you look stunning in your new hair color. Thank you. Also, did you say Mars in retrograde and mean Mercury? 
Uh, that is exactly right. <laughs> See, I don't even know. I don't even know. That's <laughs> true. Like, Mars well, because I know to... you're super into astrology and stuff, and I was like, oh my god, do I now have to worry about Mars? <laughs> <laughs> nope, Mercury, 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 Mercury. But, but yeah. to to be fair to you, there are times when like it's not Mercury that's messing us up; it's something else. Yeah. But but you're right. I do feel like the changes are not bad changes. They're good changes. Yeah. I dyed my hair. I'm now a redhead. Shout out to all my redheads out there. Woo-hoo. And and you're moving and you're moving apartments in a very exciting way. So it's I like, am. it's just it's just a crazy time to be alive. Summer is is upon us. It is 90 degrees. I'm sweating. Mm-hmm. And we're here to party. We're here to party. And I have to say what we're going to talk about today feels oh like the it's party. A party. It's a party. It's, you know, what's more party and feel than a break-in? Then the break-in. Then the, the break-in, break-in of the century. It is the ultimate party. Yeah. It's insane to me that this happened and was allowed, to, not allowed to happen, but that this happened in recent history. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I mean, I know that now the 1970s do feel super, super far away, but, like, there's a lot of people involved that are still alive. Oh, yeah. Like, like these... and fully living. Fully living and, like, still kicking around. Like, th- like this is, it's, like, what, 40 years ago? Yeah. Yeah. That's not a long time ago. No. And what what unfolded on this faithful evening and then everything afterwards i can i still have a hard time wrapping my head around i'm like wait they did what and then he did what (laughs) this is so dumb (laughs) it's so dumb and like it's one of those things where like you walk that fine line and it's like it's either brave or stupid when somebody does something crazy right like yes wow either good for them you're so brave or like Wow, I would have made wow. a different decision. That was so yep. stupid. So and that's stupid. this is kind of what it feels like. Like yeah. it's that is ball like to break into an office building like of your competitors. Rival, yeah. Of your rivals to like, you know, angle the win your way is ballsy, but also so stupid. So stupid. So so stupid. Yeah, so very excitingly, we are obviously talking about Watergate because the actual break-in happened this month, in the month of June. So what better time to celebrate that anniversary than today in this in this episode? Um, and I'll also say a great companion episode to this episode would be our episode on the United States versus Nixon. Yeah, yeah. Where we talk about the Nixon tapes. Homeboy wouldn't stop recording himself. Oh, God, and so good. one of my favorite Supreme Court cases we've covered. Again, bananas that it got to the Supreme Court. So no spoilers on that. But go and listen after you listen to this episode. Mm-hmm. But before we jump in, do you want to talk about today's Sarsha Ron and Sarses? See today's Sersha Ronan sources. Most of this is coming from the Senate. Oh, oh my God. We love the Senate. The Senate. History.com. I mean, of course. Of course. Always, always good with the, with the synopsis of world events. 
Mm-hmm. And then a little, I pulled some of it from a site called Watergate.info. Obsessed. They're happy. They, I mean. Yeah. I mean, it's a site dedicated to this event. So. Yeah. You get a website when you, when you break into the, the Democratic National Committee. Like, you get a, you get a website. That's you get a website. Works. Yeah. You get a website. Yeah. Okay, so before we jump into, like, the break-in, because I know that's, like, what everybody wants to hear about right now, let's just, let me give you the overview of what Watergate is all about. If this is your first time hearing about Watergate, or if you re- never really got the, got the intel on what this whole kerfuffle, you could say, was about. So, this is coming from the Senate. Early on the morning of June 17th, 1972, five men broke into the Democratic National Committee headquarters at the Watergate Hotel and Office Complex in Washington, D.C. Five men! Five! That's so many. Like, that's not stealth undercover break-in. That is, like... You don't need five men to do anything. No. No. Like, what was everybody's role? Like... You could, this was a two-person job max. Three-person if somebody was waiting in the car while the two people were dealing with the thing. Right. five, trim the fat. Cut the dead weight. You're just asking for trouble. You are asking for trouble. A security guard discovered the team and alerted the Metro Police who arrested the burglars, who carried more than $3,500 in cash, and high-end surveillance and electronic equipment. Okay, <laughs> this poor security guard. Like, this is just a guy who's, like, just trying to make ends meet, took a night shift, and then discovered these five goons and was like, what? Why would you bring five? I could ignore two of you. I can't ignore five of you. No. Two of you, hey, I forgot something in my office. This is my friend Bob. Fine. Mm-hmm. Fine. 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 Not, I forgot something in my office. This is Bob, Joe, John, and Fred. No. Why do you need four <laughs> other dudes? Absolutely yeah. not. Also, yeah. the carrying $3,500 in cash is like, why? For why what? do you have monies? What? Yeah, I was like, that to bribe? Like, to I don't bribe? Know. You're not breaking into a, a bank. Like, where, where, why do you have monies? Yeah. That it, you're right. That is unclear. I mean, maybe maybe it was bribe money, and they forgot to bribe the security guard who did, in fact, catch them. Oh, <laughs> they were like, "Wait, hold on, no, no, we we uh, have money. I forgot about the money. I, I forgot, forgot about, about the money. money." They were like, "Okay, fine, take us away. Wait, wait, wait. We have. Would you like thirty five hundred dollars? It can be yours yeah, if you let it's us like, go." I'm sorry, I already called the police. Like you're right. already in the back of the car. <laughs> yeah, I am obsessed. With this cast of characters, these five yeah. guys. I'm obsessed. I mean, if it wasn't, like, real life and involved a president and, like, the national committee of one of our two major political parties, like, this would be, like, a Seth Rogen movie where, like, five dudes break into an office building and get caught by the police guard who, like, is like, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? What are you doing Wait here? Wait a second. You're not supposed to be here. Stop in the name of the law. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the break-in herself. Let's. This is coming mostly from History.com. The origins of the Watergate break-in lay in the hostile political climate of the time. 
1972, when Republican President Richard Nixon was running for re-election, the United States was embroiled in the Vietnam War, and the country was deeply divided. I just feel like this was not the time to break in. No. We could have timed this. I mean, I understand that, like, they had to because it was, like, there were, the election was upon them, and that was the impetus for breaking in, but, man, would have picked a different year. Yeah. Personally. We would have picked a different year for this sort of thing. Yeah. I just, you know, also seems like there could have been a better way to go about winning an election. Like, run a better campaign. What do you mean? Like votes? (laughs) Like voting or run a better campaign. Come up with a better slogan. Yeah. In May of 1972, as evidence would later show, members of Nixon's committee to reelect the president, known derisively as creep. (laughs) Sure. Sure, they set themselves up for that one. They did. <laughs> Broke into the Democratic National Committee's Watergate headquarters, stole copies of top secret documents, and bugged the office's phones. I mean, he, I just, like, what? <laughs> like, this is, uh, this is, why would you do it? It's, it's so, so it's dumb. Like, it's like the spy times. It's like, you know, it's like Atomic Blonde shit. You know that movie? With, I know, um, but like, they're not spies. That's no, what's funny. These are, it's like non-spies pretending to be spies. These are like frat bros and ties and button downs. Yeah. Like, you know, it's so funny. Oh, man. Uh, however, the wiretaps failed to work properly. So oh my God. they went back a second time, which is where they no. get caught. Because they broke in again. Yeah, you can't. Come on. Come on. You're running the risk. So on June 17th, a group of five burglars returned to the Watergate building. As the prowlers were preparing to break into the office with a new microphone, a security guard noticed that someone had taped over several of the building's door locks. Wait a second. Okay, wait. Okay. This isn't even high tech. They were like, duct tape. Duct tape. Yeah, so... These five guys, they broke in, set some wiretaps, went back, realized that they set them up wrong and that they didn't work, went back, and then once they broke in, they duct taped the doors, which I don't even know why you need to do that once you're in. You can go out. And like, or were they, go- I know. Like, or were they going in and out? Like, what's... We need five guys. Oh, yeah. And we need five people to fix a microphone. A microphone. Oh, man. Oh, man. I love it. it. They did it all wrong. So the guard sees the tape over the doors and he's like, "Mm, Mm. mm, this looks Mm. odd. Me thinks thinks we have a break in. Let me Me just call the full ass police. Yep. Shout out to this guard who just like. Saved the day, really. Yeah. He calls the police and they, according to history.com, quote, arrived just in time to catch them red-handed. 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 Yeah. I bet the I bet the police got there and they were looking at what they did and they were like, sorry, is this your first time bugging somebody? Like, <laughs> <laughs> let me give you some tips. Sorry, this is real amateur hour over mm-hmm. here. Oh, man. Yeah. It was not immediately clear that the burglars were connected to the president, though suspicions were raised when detectives found copies of the re-election committee's White House phone number among the burglars' (laughs) belongings. I mean, Jesus Christ! 
White House, 888-888-888. Like, you, you couldn't have left that at home? Left it in no. the car? No, that would be like one of the gangsters being Al Capone. 13 yeah. West, 120. Like, no. Yeah. It's so interesting to me because I feel like, I feel like they, they all brought in briefcases and didn't need to. Like, when you're going to to break in and wiretap Democratic National Committee building, you just need to bring the essentials. Yeah. Just bring the microphone and nothing else. That's it. Just your that's wallet it. in your pocket, your keys for your car, and the bug. And that's it. But they brought that's papers. It. They brought... They brought snacks. They brought a whole... They brought they friends. Brought, they brought three other people who didn't need to be there, like... No. Trim the fat, my dudes. Yeah. Trim the fat. I do love the, the idea that, like, had they not taped the doors open, they probably would have gotten away with it. Sure. I think if they would have done this remotely better in any way, shape, or form, they could have gotten away with it. But because they did this so poorly, from start to literal finish... But of course they got caught. Of course they got caught. It's kind of like when we were talking about... Germany in the D-Day episode it's like if they oh had God. done a single thing one thing right one thing right ball game. it would have been yeah. a different ball game yeah yeah obviously different stakes but different stakes I can't find a, diff- a single thing that these these gentlemen did correct no in this in this uh break-in no so then in August Nixon gave a speech in which he swore that his White House staff was not involved in the break-in most voters believed him, and in November 1972, the president was reelected in a landslide. I think that's yeah. his I am not a crook. Yeah, that is for sure his I am not yeah. a crook speech. Um, Dick, you can't, you shouldn't, you shouldn't say things you can't back up. Yeah. Like, ooh, doesn't look good, doesn't no. look good. Because you were a crook. Yeah. To unequivocally deny something is a slippery slope when you're yep. guilty. Yep. Yeah. Like, find the gray area, my dude. Find the gray area. I might be a crook. I could be a crook. We're looking into it. We're looking into it. It is being <laughs> investigated. It's being thoroughly investigated. <laughs> it later came to light that, li- that Nixon was not being truthful. Sure. 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 A few days after the break-in, he arranged to provide hundreds of thousands of dollars in hush money to the burglars. Oh my god, Nixon. Wait a little bit. Also, get a friend to do this. What, you don't have a single friend who could arrange the hush money for you? Man. Listeners, if I if you can if I can impart any advice on you from this episode, it's do not arrange your own hush money. No. Get somebody to do but it. Hire phone somebody. A friend, phone a friend. Get hire it, done. it out. Yep. Then Nixon and his aides hatched a plan to instruct the Central Intelligence Agency, the CIA, oh, to impede the FBI's investigation of the crime. This was a more oh serious crime than the break-in. It was an abuse of presidential power and a deliberate obstruction of justice. Also, nothing says I'm guilty like saying to the CIA, hey, go and uh, get in the way of this FBI investigation. Like, if he would have just sat on his hands for like two weeks, this would have blown over. 
Yep. But no, no. He's like, he's like, let me give a hundred thousands of dollars yes. to these five goons. Let me talk to the CIA while I'm at it. Bad decision after bad decision for, no. for Tricky Dick. And it's not just him who's doing it. He's getting his aides to do it, which means there are more people that know about it, which are yeah. which means there are more people who could potentially talk. Like, it's so stupid. You got to keep the circle small. Like, if I was going to do something illegal, I would do it on my own time with my own yeah. self. Like, I'm not going to, like, no, I don't, I would not trust my aides. No. No, my God. I don't trust anybody. No. That's my whole thing. Meanwhile, seven conspirators were indicted on charges related to the Watergate affair. At the urging of Nixon's aides, five pleaded guilty to avoid trial. The other two were convicted in January of 1973. Dang. Yeah. Dang. And now we're up to seven conspirators? Like, was everybody invited to conspire? Seemed like an easy invitation to get. I know. I would be upset if I wasn't invited. What do you mean I don't get to go to the Watergate break-in? It's the party of the century. I know. We're going to take a quick break for a little word from our sponsors. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores, and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cash back boost. That's an extra 10% cash back on top of the 15% cash back. You won't see higher cash back rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. So let's talk about the aftermath of this Watergate scandal, break-in, affair, etc., etc., so first, let's talking about the Washington Post. So this is coming from the Senate and History.com. While the burglars awaited their arraignment in federal district court, the FBI launched an investigation of the incident. The dogged reporting of two Washington Post journalists 
Bob Woodward, and Carl Bernstein raised questions and suggested connections between Nixon's re-election campaign and the men awaiting trial in federal district court. So Bob Woodward, Carl Bernstein, solving the case. Yeah. Cracking the case, following the clues, Scooby doing this, being like, I'm sorry, A plus B is equaling the White House. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. I don't want to say because until then they obviously knew like it was politically related because well, why yeah. else would you bug a phone in a political headquarters? Okay, and I think we talked a little bit about this in the other episodes. Like they like there was like a a cloud of suspicion, but like they were the, really the first ones to be like, no, no, here's some like d- kind of damning evidence. Evidence, yeah. So obviously, as we said, White House deny, deny, deny. For the rest of pretty much 1972 and then Nixon won re-election easily that year. But co-conspirators began to crack under the pressure of the cover-up and an anonymous whistleblower named, oh my God, Deep Throat provided key information to Woodward and Bernstein. I would prefer a different code name. Yes, I don't like that one at all. I don't think I don't think that's our best. I think we could have done something different, but We've, we could have done better work for sure. We definitely could have. But anyways, famously anonymous whistleblower hashtag deep throat was the person feeding information to these two Washington Post journalists who basically were part of the catalyst that started tying all of this to the White House. Yeah. Now let's talk about the trial. So on January 10th, 1973, the trial of the Watergate burglars and two accomplices began. After weeks of testimony, Chief Federal District Judge John Sirica expressed skepticism that all of the facts in the case had been revealed. Okay. He's like, somebody was holding on to something. Mm -hmm. And I should be told what that is. Yep. Five men pleaded guilty and two were convicted by jury. Judge Sherika urged those awaiting sentencing to cooperate with the soon-to-be-established Senate Select Committee. Ooh, we're yeah. getting a committee. I love when the Senate is like, we have to have a committee for this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> set it up. Set it up. So with that said, let's talk about the creation of the Senate Select Committee. On February 5th, 1973, Senator Edward Kennedy offered Senate Resolution 60 to establish a select committee on presidential campaign activities to investigate campaign activities related to the presidential election of 1972. So Edward Kennedy was like, let me introduce this idea to you. Let's create a committee to actually look into what happened in 1972 because something seems something nefarious. Is very amiss, and I smell things rotten rat. in the state of DC. Traditionally, the sponsoring member presides over an inquiry. Majority Leader Mike Mansfield wanted to avoid the possibility that the committee would seem unduly partisan because of Kennedy's presidential aspirations, and instead offered the chair to Senator Sam Irvin of North Carolina. Great. So they're like, let's make this, let's set this up. This could seem political and like not above board. So I'm going to put somebody else in place, which I'm like, bless, bless, Mm -hmm. conflict of interest. Get rid of it. Obsessed. Well qualified to head the investigation, Senator Irvin, Irvin, I think I said Irvin earlier, but Irvin was a former North Carolina Supreme Court justice a self-proclaimed, quote, country lawyer with a degree from Harvard Law School, 
and widely regarded as the Senate's constitutional expert. Gorgeous. Great. Gorgeous. At 76 years old, he did not aspire to the presidency. Key. His reputation among his Senate colleagues was, according to the Secretary of the Senate, Frank Velio, quote, unassailable. So he had a great character. Everybody liked him. As chairman of the Constitutional Rights Subcommittee of the Judiciary Committee, Senator Irvin had investigated a number of issues important to the Watergate scandal, including surveillance and wiretapping. So this he's qualified. Yeah, qualified. Qualified. No conflict of interest. No. Just here for the Constitution, here for democracy. Yeah. That's it. 76 years old. On February 7th, 1973, the Senate voted unanimously to create the Select Committee. The resolution empowered four Democrats and three Republicans to subpoena witnesses and materials, provided them with a $500,000 budget, and required them to submit a final report by February 28th, 1974. So they gave them like a pretty long time. They gave them like a year. Yeah. A year. They gave them a year. Which I guess is like, if you're going to investigate something, like, yeah, take the year. Take your time. Investigate, write your report. Yeah. The resolution granted the committee the power to investigate the break-in and any subsequent cover-up of criminal activity, as well as, quote, all other illegal, improper, or unethical conduct occurring during the presidential campaign of 1972, Including political espionage and campaign finance practices. Yeah. Broad. Yep. They're like, if it if it smells funny, go and investigate it. You go look at it, honey. If it doesn't smell right, you take a look. I'm obsessed with that. So let's let's talk about Nixon. For I mean, let's a just bit. just a little bit. It's he just a very minor character in this whole endeavor. <laughs> you could call him a co-star. He is definitely a co-star. Saga. Yeah. yeah. So throughout the inquiry, President Nixon rebuffed the committee's requests to access information. Mm. Claiming a constitutional separation of powers, he refused to allow his aides to testify. Not a good look. Not, Not a, a good, good look. look. You're trying to prove you're innocent. Not a good it's look. Never a good look. No. If you're innocent, you have nothing to hide. Yeah. Yeah. I'd talk to anybody. I have nothing to hide. You don't need to hide. Senator Irvin insisted that executive privilege could not be extended to cover criminal behavior, and he threatened to authorize the sergeant at arms to arrest White House aides who refused to testify. Get Go it. off. Get Go it. Go off. Just because yeah, you're in power doesn't you. mean you're above the law. Mm-mm. No, thank you. It sure doesn't. Nope. You can't commit crimes. You can't commit crimes no matter who no. you are. No matter who no. you are. No. Conceding to public pressure, the president allowed his aides to cooperate, but continued to deny the committee access to presidential papers. Nixon repeatedly declared that he knew nothing about the Watergate burglary. Lies. But former White House counsel John Dean III testified that the president had approved plans to cover up White House connections to the break-in. Oh, man. Yeah. That's yeah. That good for you, John Dean. You go testify. You keep your well, legal, your like, lawyer license. You can't, you can't have 90 people knowing about this break-in and expect everybody to, like, stay cool. No. Why would they? Too many cooks in the kitchen. How much are you? No. 
Exactly. There's no. too many cooks in the kitchen. Somebody's bound to have a conscience in that group. I know. Another former aide, Alexander Butterfield, revealed that the president maintained a voice-activated tape recorder system in various rooms of the White House. It's my favorite thing. Why would you have it's it? It's my favorite thing. It's my favorite Why thing. Why would you have this? It's so I good. Just, oh, man. I forget. I forget the joy that it brings me to think about how it's much just he recorded. Stupid. It's just Don't so record. stupid. You were committing crimes. You recorded yourself planning to commit crimes. So For stupid. To what end? So stupid. Oh, man. Oh, man. Chairman Irvin requested access to the tapes, believing that they would either corroborate or repudiate testimony that the president had knowledge of and approved of efforts to cover up the Watergate break-in. Oof. Senate Resolution 194 authorized the committee to issue subpoenas for documents, tapes, and other material to any officer of the executive branch. And the committee voted unanimously on July 16, 1973, to subpoena the tapes and documents. Nixon refused to comply, citing executive privilege and separation of powers. Nah, Not bitch. Nah. Not a good look. Mm-mm. Honey. Oh, man. He's, uh, you just, you see him digging the hole deeper and deeper and deeper. And I'm like, babe, once you pressed record, there was no coming back. No. There was no coming Not even, back. Not even, what's her name? The lady who deleted the, the tapes. Oh, how could we forget? Rose Mary Woods. Remember, because she's got a one oh name. Oh my god! That's a two yes, name. Rose Space Mary. Yes. Oh my god, Rose Space Mary. Rose Space Mary. Oh man, uh, loved her work. I love, loved yes. her work. Well, I'll repost that photo. Oh my god, it's the best photo in the world. I was reaching for phone. this photo or for this phone and trying to answer this phone, and I accidentally deleted the tapes. <laughs> I was trying to reach too many things. Poor Roseface Mary. She just, <laughs> she got mixed up in the wrong crowd. Oh, she got mixed God. up in the wrong crowd. Oh, my God. Oh, it's oh, so sad. It's so, so sad. Funny. Oh, my God. Oh, man. So Nixon refused to comply. Senator Irvin rebutted that, quote, the select committee is exercising the constitutional power of the Senate to conduct the investigation. And the doctrine of separation of powers of government requires the president to recognize this and to refrain from obstructing the committee. Vice Chairman Howard Baker, who was a a Republican from Tennessee, proposed that the committee take the president to court. Oh, my God. uh, Literally, Senator Irvin is like, do not come at me with how the Constitution works, honey. I will show you how the Constitution works. Yeah. And then in a crazy turn of events, a Republican from Tennessee was like, what if we sue the president? I love that. As though we're in the upside down. So then on August of 1973, the committee took the unprecedented step of suing the president in federal district court for access to the tapes and other documents. The court dismissed the action for lack of jurisdiction and appeals affirmed the lower court's ruling. So the courts are like, no. You don't have jurisdiction, which is like, how so, my friend? Because they're investigating crimes at the the highest level on behalf of the American people. How how do they not have standing? Highest room of the tallest tower. Yeah. So this kind of brings us up to the Saturday Night Massacre. Oof. When Archibald Cox, who was the special prosecutor, refused to stop demanding the Nixon tapes Nixon ordered that he be fired, leading several Justice Department officials to resign in protest. 
Eventually, Nixon agreed to surrender some, but not all of the tapes. <laughs> Here's Monday and Tuesday. You cannot have Wednesday. No Wednesday and Thursday. <laughs> That's when I planned the crime. So you can't have those, but you can have my grocery lists. Yeah, I love that he's like, they'll be satiated with like these four tapes. And they listen to them and they're like, dude, yep. you know, these are not the tapes we want. Come on. So insane. So insane. Then in early of 1974, the cover-up and efforts to impede the Watergate investigation began to unravel. On March 1st, a grand jury appointed by a new special prosecutor indicted seven of Nixon's former aides on various charges related to the Watergate affair. The jury, unsure if they could indict a sitting president, called Nixon an unindicted co-conspirator. Go off. Yep. That's what I want to be called. Lizzie Stewart, unindicted, unindicted co-conspirator. co-conspirator. Esquire. yeah i mean i i i feel for this jury i can't imagine like sitting on in that jury box being like i don't know if we can do this but he's also guilty so just so you know like the evidence really points to the president just by the by just uh wanted to flag that for everybody yep oh obsessed Okay, let's talk about the final report and Nixon's resignation, famously resigned. So this is once again coming from the Senate. In early of 1974, Special Prosecutor Leon Jarowski asked the committee to postpone releasing its final report so as to not unduly influence the criminal cases he was preparing against the former White House staff. Okay, fair. The House Judiciary Committee launched an impeachment inquiry. In light of these developments, members of the Senate committee voted unanimously on February 19, 1974, to conclude public hearings and complete the committee's remaining tasks in private sessions. So they're like, don't want to influence criminal cases here. Let's wrap this up behind closed doors. We'll release it when we can release it. The committee submitted its final report, including legislative recommendations, on June 27, 1974. On July 24, the Supreme Court ruled unanimously in a separate case, United States v. Nixon, go listen to our episode on it, that the president must surrender the tapes to the special prosecutor. President Nixon complied and the recordings revealed that he had participated in devising a plan to cover up the White House connection to the Watergate burglary. Based on this evidence, the House Judiciary Committee adopted three articles of impeachment. But before the House could vote, Nixon resigned on August 9th, 1974. So talk about a whirlwind summer. So committee submits its report in June. Supreme Court in July is like, sorry, bro, you have to release the tapes. Beginning of August, the uh, House Judiciary Committee is adopting articles of impeachment. And then before they can get it going, Nixon's like, you know what? I'm out. I'm out. Seems like I should take myself out of the out of the mix here. Totally, totally forgot about this vacation I have to take. So sorry. I can no longer be president. So sorry. So sorry. Very, very active summer for sort of democracy. The Watergate Committee's final report recommended legislative action in three areas. Number one, 
regulation of campaign activities and contributions. Number two, the establishment of a permanent special prosecutor. And number three, the creation of a permanent congressional legal service. Some, though not all, of these recommendations ended up becoming law. In 1974, Congress amended the Federal Election Campaign Act. The revisions imposed limitations on expenses and contributions, required regular reporting by election committees, and established a means for public financing of presidential nominating conventions and primary elections. And then finally, Congress passed the Ethics in Government Act of 1978. The bill required a financial disclosure by executive and judicial branch officials and established the Office of Government Ethics as an oversight agency. It also created mechanisms for the appointment of a special prosecutor. So I love that four years later, they're like, we need an an office for just ethics. Because we're so messy. Uh, Yeah. Or like, they finally realized that like, maybe all of these people aren't on the up and up. And maybe... We should have a way to investigate what they're doing instead yeah. of just relying on their word that they're not doing anything wrong. Yeah. Maybe we should have a special prosecutor every for every day of the week. Maybe. You know? Maybe we need one of them. Maybe we need one or two or three or five. Yeah. So then just a little coda on the whole affair. Nixon's last days in office came in late July and early August 1974. The House Judiciary Committee voted to accept three of the proposed articles of impeachment, with some Republicans voting with Democrats to recommend impeachment of the president. The final blow came with the decision by the Supreme Court to order Nixon to release more White House tapes. One of these became known as the smoking gun tape when it revealed that Nixon had participated in the Watergate cover-up as far back as June 23, 1972. Oh, dang. I mean, yeah, dude. Yeah. Around the country, there were calls for Nixon to resign. And at 9 p.m. in the evening of August 8th, 1974, Nixon delivered a nationally televised resignation speech. The next morning, he made his final remarks to White House staff before sending his resignation letter to the Secretary of State, Dr. Henry Kissinger. Is it? Do you? That's so interesting. Does it always go to the Secretary of State? I don't know. As I was reading that, I was like, I wonder who you are supposed Like, is it in writing somewhere? Yeah, I think you have, I mean, it's like any job. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You, yeah, I feel like you always submit a formal letter. I'm sure it said, dear Kissinger, I'm done. (laughs) Bye. Peace. (laughs) Also, imagine like, (laughs) imagine at like resigning and submitting that to Henry Kissinger. Yeah. Who like, not a good dude not a not a good fella and having to be like yeah i'm i'm bad <laughs> i'm bad i resign because i've been so, bad yeah, please accept my resignation right. henry kissinger oh man and then gerald ford becomes the 38th president of the united states because nixon resigned he was the first vice president and the first president to ascend to both positions without being elected regarded on <laughs> all off. sides i know Regarded at all sides of politics as a decent man, Ford will be remembered for his controversial pardon of Richard Nixon. Yeah. yeah nobody liked that. Like, no, he was guilty as He sin. was guilty. That motherfucker was guilty. He yeah. abandoned shit because he was so guilty. 
He literally abandoned ship. I mean, it's one of those things where, like, the best type of evidence is, like, now, obviously, video evidence. But back then, recorded evidence of any kind was the creme de la creme. Yes. Of evidence. And we had hours. Yeah. Hours and hours and hours of Nixon talking about this stuff. And that then, Rose Space Mary did not have the opportunity to delete. That Rose, that Rose Space Mary did not have an opportunity to delete. And then former model Gerald Ford is like, you know what? You know what? I'm going to I'm gonna pardon Nixon because at, at his core, he's the decent man and the former president. And I'm like, nah, dude, like, let him suffer consequences. Yes. That man fucked up. Yeah, he committed crimes. He committed capital C crimes. Yeah. Plural. Not just one crime. No. Like, if it was one crime, I'd be like, "Mm -hmm, snap on the rest. But, like, multiple crimes? Come on. I don't care who you are. If you commit multiple crimes, you gotta... There has to be some consequence. And, like, you resigning the presidency can't be the consequence. No. Jail is the consequence. Jail is a consequence. Impeachment is the consequence. Yes. Anywho, with all that said, that is our episode on Watergate. And it, it's every time we talk about it, it gets more and more fun. So crazy. The, it's so crazy. The worst executed crime of, of the 20th century. <laughs> and there were a lot of poorly executed crimes. But man, oh man. The, I think the biggest takeaway we can have from this episode is if you're gonna break in don't do it with five people no keep your numbers small tell nobody about it don't record yourself planning it don't record yourself (laughs) don't record yourself planning it if you're if you're gonna wiretap maybe do a dry run somewhere else so you can so you can get it on the first try yeah don't don't break in and then re-break in don't use duct tape on the doors. No. Don't leave a trail. Don't it leave really a trail. It really is astonishing that, like, the burglars were so bad. Nixon was so bad. Like, like they everybody was so, so bad. Everybody was so bad. Just so stupid. He should have gone to jail for allowing the worst crime ever planned to unfold. Right. That's the greatest crime of all here is that is that nobody was like, hey, maybe we should, like, have a meeting and organize. Like. <laughs> <laughs> How's Thursday at four? Can everybody How's meet Thursday in the we, Oval we really Office Thursday just... at four so we can plan yeah. the break-in? Okay, thank you. Like, do you think any of the five guys was like, I think I think there's too many people here. <laughs> <laughs> I think, think any of you had that thought? I, 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 maybe Bob was like, John, I, I just, maybe sit this one out. Like, yeah, I, maybe, I just you know, feel... actually, I'll go. I'll go. Yeah, I'll go. You know, you go. I'll stay home. I'll stay here. I'll yeah. stay in the car. I'll stay in the car. I'll, draw, I'll take it's a lap. Fine. I don't need to tape the doors. I yeah. fucked up the bugging before. It's my bad yeah. we're here. Like, I'll, I'll stay here in the car this time. I don't yeah. need to burgle. I don't need to burgle today. Man, if only. If only we could have had a different situation. So funny. But, again, that's our episode. And, as always, we love you guys so, so much. And if you like what you heard, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Get Civical. You can rate us. You can review us. You can subscribe to us. 
We love you so, so much, and we will see you next Wednesday. Goodbye.